Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. Welcome to the fifth episode of Design Your Life. The brief is you with cognitive neuroscience professor Joel Pearson. Today we'll be talking about how you can design your life using design principles, putting yourself in the shoes of your client. This time, the brief is you. Hey, Joel, welcome back to Design Your Life Part 5. Ooh, five already. Yep, five already. And that last one was a long one. Yep. Uh, the one on creativity, we had a lot of fun discussing that. And we will come back again and talk more about that. Uh, part 5 is about designing your life. And your life actually is the most important design project you'll ever have. Uh, mm-hmm. For us designers, some people don't kind of seem to get that. But um, mm-hmm. because we're so focused on the commercial uh, briefing, et cetera, in the process of designing. But I certainly believe that we can utilize design principles that we use in our work to apply it to everyday life. And you actually might create a more, a more successful life as a result of that. Yeah. So p- often we put all our energy into our, our clients, into the outside world. And this kind of part of the conversation is really about how can you kind of be the best person you possibly can be and how can you improve or what I call kind of incremental improvements and incremental change for the better. Yeah. Um, so today we're going to talk about that. How might you take what you know um, to design a better life? That's the question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think, what is this? The, is it the Beatles? Is it life's what happens to you when you're busy doing other things? Is that from the, is that the Beatles? It feels like it's the Beatles. Okay, great. It's the Beatles. It is, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, I know the one you mean. We, we, it, we're busy doing other things and life, to, you know, if, if, if the problem comes up, then we have to fix it, but otherwise we ignore it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's been changing more and more lately, certainly in some of the circles I pay attention to in the, this when biohacking has become a big thing and experimentation, self-improvement, all these things that are happening now. Um, I mean, from my point of view, I'm a fan of what I would call safe experimentation. So I don't mean, you know, rushing out and taking LSD or rushing out and jumping off a... doing bungee jumping necessarily, but, but experimenting and trying things you haven't tried before just to test the water mm-hmm. because you don't know what you're missing. And once you try it, maybe it'll be the same, maybe it'll totally change your life, right? Mm. So small example would be however many years ago when I th- played around with the idea of changing how I eat during the day. And so I thought, well, I'll just experiment and I'll, I'll cut out having sugar and carbs during the day. And I was like, wow, I don't need to have hit the coffee all afternoon. I don't like sit in my chair slumped in the afternoon. It's like the, the afternoon can be kind of like the morning. It feels totally different. Mm. And I was like, wow, I, I almost didn't try that. I was kind of laughed at the idea that I would feel that different. Mm-hmm. And similar when, when we're doing exercise or go to the gym or run or something, if you haven't been, this happens to me all the time, if I have take a, some time off exercise and I think, well, I probably should do exercise and I completely underestimate how effective it's going to be, how good I'm going to feel afterwards. So I fail to predict that. And so I tend not to do it. Once I do it, I'm like, oh man, I've forgotten how good it can feel. Mm-hmm. And so there are examples of trying things out that obviously they're not going to damage you or no safe experiments. So playing around with diet, playing around with all the fundamentals we've discussed in earlier podcasts mm-hmm. around well-being, um, resilience, Sleep. intuition. Sleep's a big one, yeah. So just try, like just do the simple things. Try not having any wine or any alcohol at nighttime. See, do that for a week. See how you feel. Makes absolutely no difference. That's fine. No great thing lost. If you start to feel better, you have more energy in the morning, mm. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe that 
that over you know a couple of years is going to have a fundamental change in your life. Maybe the same with sugar at nighttime. Maybe the same with sugar in general. Mm-hmm. So just tweak these little things, all the fundamentals. Tweak how you design your day. Maybe you're a night person. You know, there's different chronotypes. Maybe your peak time of, of best thinking for creativity is in the afternoon and your peak time for doing other uh, critically rational work is in the morning. So experiment with blocking your work uh, in different times of the day, maybe. Um, so just try around... You know, Try different things, experiment differently mm. and test the water. Don't assume that because you can't imagine it or you can't predict it'll have a radical effect on you, it won't. You need to test it. You need to actually try it to see how it's going to change your life. Mm. So I'm a fan of doing that because our predictions around these things are not very good at all. Mm-hmm. Mm. I've equally kind of experimented with the idea of being fittish. I think we talked about it before as well. Or reducing alcohol. I haven't drank for 10 years. And I struggled with that for a long time because it did. It actually did hold me back, and it mm. was really hard to stop not drinking. Um, sorry to start, not Wait. to stop to drinking. Stop drinking. <laughs> Christ, I can't even speak. Um, yeah. So just in terms of like reducing that and finding that that actually it started to you know once I kind of persevered with that, which was kind of really felt like it was against the my natural desire was to grab a glass of wine or something. Mm. Um, you know, once I got past that, when I started to kind of come through that um, and come out stronger because of that and, and fresher and, you know, being able to be more present, less cranky, um, uh, not in this constant state of repair, uh, which I was previously, it, ma- it has made a massive difference to my life. Far more productive, far happier, less confrontation, yeah. less kind of messiness in my life, etc. I mean, I guess... Some people kind of deal with the life uh, with alcohol in different ways, but it is a it is quite a a growing kind of concern um, around the world. Um, but I think in terms of um, that whole idea of kind of integration versus balance, you want to kind of expand on that as well. Yeah, so that's one I struggled with and still do around around work, particularly and having a family and you know how how to balance different things, how to balance work life and home life and doing. Know, for, for a lot of people, those two things have blended for the last year or so. And so the idea of integrating them and bringing your family members into your work somehow, if that's possible, it's not always possible, but this idea of integrating things. So, you know, I have some writing projects at the moment that I'm working on, and so I try and bring my wife in and, and she wants to help me on that so she can give me a perspective on that that, that I can't see. Um, mm. And so that's an example of integrating rather than balance, rather than when I'm at home saying, oh, no, work's over, I'm not going to work now, I'm going to spend time with, the, with her and with the kids, bringing that together, and it helps because she can then relate to what I'm doing, she understands why I'm excited or d- down about something or what's mm-hmm. going on, so it brings us closer, um, and it can still be a win-win, um, so that's what I guess I mean by integrating things, mm-hmm. and I guess there's different levels of that, you can sort of take that, that example, you can integrate exercise in the office at work you integrate mm. things as you know that those kind of things become more and more integrated now so rather than just trying to balance you know this idea of a scale and two different weights in each side of a scale but bringing things together um and again safely experimenting with those and seeing how it can change mm. change your life yeah over the over generations that that work life has changed dramatically hasn't it it's been yeah. very open and fluid and uh i guess less division between the two yeah which, I mean, some people hate, some people love, um, but it seems to be the, the way that we're going to be working kind of going forward. Um, I was also kind of wondering around, 
routines. Um, you know, I like things to be in a certain place. I like to have certain mm-hmm. routines in my life. Um, I can't imagine not having some routines because it'd be just every day would be kind of semi kind of chaotic. Um, is it is it important to have routines in one's life? I I think it is, and there's some there's there's certain amount of data I think to support that. And so this is the idea around fatigue, particularly decision fatigue, and having routines and things that you would do every morning in particular. Sort of this idea that you have X amount of decision juice in your body, and by, when that's used up, then you're kind of done for the day. And so the more mundane things, if you can automate them or, or take them off the board so you don't have to worry too much about what you're going to wear, um, mm. then it frees up something, right? I'm not necessarily a fan of uniforms, but so I've experimented with this. And so I wore jeans and a gray T-shirt, I think, every day for about two years, um, and just bought a whole lot of them. Just And it sounds pretty boring, right? People go, oh, that's boring. But there was something freeing in that. And no one, actually, during those two years, no one commented. No one seemed to notice. Maybe they did. But I kind of had that's my... That's not what I heard. That's yeah. <laughs> it, it would free things up. I wouldn't have to go, well, you know, I'm not wearing that now because I sort of don't do that anymore. But I still have those T-shirts. But it would, it would definitely free things up in the morning. I wouldn't have to take... And this probably sounds horrible to a lot of people, right? I wouldn't have to worry about what I'm going to wear. I wouldn't have to think about what I'm going to wear. We just talked about creativity and there's you know, space to be creative with what you're going to wear and how you wear it, all that kind of thing as well. But there's always something liberating in having that routine and knowing what you're going to do so you don't have to sort of go through a decision fatigue and figure out what you're going to eat, what are you going to drink, what time you're going to get up, what are you going to do next. If all those are sort of preset, then you can choose the other things that maybe are more important or maybe more valuable in some way to you or to others or whatever, um, more fulfilling, you can spend your energy and time on mm. those things. And so that's what I mean by routines. I think yeah. why they sound sort of limiting and putting you in this sort of jail of repetition, it kind of takes care of certain, certain things in your life and lets you then free it up to do the other things. Mm. Yeah, it gets rid of the friction, I guess, or the uncertainty or the partial chaos uh, that happens. Yeah. And it's a very Silicon Valley thing as well. Yeah, so, you know, Steve Jobs is a huge fan of yeah, that, wasn't he? Yeah. So, yeah. It's kind of funny because I'm, I'm the same. I used to always wear black T-shirts and black, black jeans or whatever. Now I just wear a denim shirt all the time. A denim man. But I reassure people I've got three of these denim shirts <laughs> because for something about it, it's just like you think, oh, my God. You just wor- I'm less worried about it now. It must be my age. <laughs> but I was always thinking like, oh, my God, they must think I'm wearing the same clothes every day. That rock star, you never well, take it off. And, it's well, <laughs> and why is that a negative thing? It's funny how, is that this kind of the world of fashion, the world of advertising, the world of commercialism mm. has kind of made us think that we have to constantly... Oh, have, have a shower every day, change our clothes every day, you know, do all these things which is, actually isn't necessary. I mean, my, one of my um, brother-in-law is a hairdresser. He said, you, don't, you shouldn't need to wash your hair more than once a year. Once a year? Yeah. That's, oh, that's if you get this sort of plateau of natural oils. Yeah. And once you're up, yeah. Yeah, and he's a hairdresser, so he's kind of encouraging <laughs> people to wash their hair every day, every, you know, like get the hair cut on a regular basis. But it's really interesting that it actually comes back to kind of the whole idea of reduction, Reducing the clutter in your life. Yeah. Less is more. Um, you oh, don't need to accumulate, thing, accumulate so much stuff. Minimalism, I mean, yeah. Yeah, you don't need all that stuff. All that stuff is costing you money. It's eroding your finances. And it's just clutter that you've been manipulated into buying. Yeah. It's a bit like the phone we talked about before. It's like there's something us designers and advertising, etc., are focusing on making things constantly. 
for people to buy to accumulate. Yeah. Um, every, and and that, it works. Every time we go camping, I'm reminded of this. So, so you know, you, you get worried about this and you're going to have the right thing and the, the car and the couch or what, like all these things that clutter in your life, right, that are linked to finances somehow. And then you go away camping, you know, and live in a tent, simple food, a couple of lights. Well, for one day. No, no, for like <laughs> five days. Like, and you start thinking, well, you don't need, you don't need a house. I mean, you... It just changes your perspective, or you know, mm. when you travel and you stay in very simple accommodation, um, you feel alive. Yeah, and you realize what well, you don't. All these things you're stressing about or worrying about having the right thing to perfect this or the right toaster or whatever it might be. Mm. It really doesn't matter. You can get by, and arguably maybe in a, in a richer way, in a richer, more fulfilling way, with very simple, Spartan almost, you know, um, dwellings. Yeah, there's something I'd- interesting in that. I totally agree. It, it feels liberating, um, and it feels liberating, kind of giving what you have accumulated away to, 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 to people who are, you know, who have the need, you know, for clothes mm. or whatever it might be as well. Actually, so that and that this reminds me of something. I think it's Tim Ferriss on, on his podcast has talked about that in terms of you've talked to me before about you sort of this idea of worst case scenario. This pops into your mind. This idea of fear setting, and this is. You know, for, for, for people with money in particular, this idea of what's the worst case, it could all, I could lose everything and trying to live for short periods of time on no money with the most one set of clothes. And so is it, if this is, the, this is one of the worst case scenarios that I have no mm. money anymore and you do it for a week and you're like, it's actually not that bad, right? Mm. I, I still enjoy food. It's much simpler. I can still enjoy the simple things, the sunshine, the ocean, whatever. Um, and so fear setting and then experiencing that and realizing it's not that bad is an interesting practice as yeah, yeah. part of life. Yeah, That's a great idea. So the visualization, creative visualization of seeing yeah, or, or actually, experiencing. Yeah, we're actually doing it. Yeah, yeah, people, yeah, yeah. people will do it. They'll go on these little, like a camping trip, they'll go on these, they'll, they'll, they'll live on, you know, whatever, $10 a day or something for a week to remind themselves that abs- worst case scenario financially, hey, it's not that bad. I, I can mm. do it. I think we've probably got a taste of that with COVID, right? We've got hmm. a taste where we've been forced into this kind of isolation. We've forced to uh, reduce the kind of the clutter and the, and the noisy aspect of our life. Travel, we're not traveling like we used to. Yeah. All that, that huge reduction. We used to kind of jump on a plane and fly somewhere for a holiday. And now we're going, how, how do we make that work locally? Where, where do we spend our time, our money? Where do we get recharged, et cetera? Yeah. It's really interesting how that shifted. Yeah. Yeah. Or someone else is going to sort it out for us. I mean, we've been put in that situation where we're actually confronted with that. And it might be quite hard for people, but people are actually seem to have kind of at various levels kind of coming through stronger because of that um, that time to um, recalibrate. Mm. Hey, Joe, what about your philosophy around well-being? Yeah, so we've talked a lot about yeah the different aspects of well-being, what it is. But my approach, you know, rather than than focusing on just what I eat to try and have a healthy body and just to work out for a healthy body, I try and I start with the brain and work down. So I'm thinking if I can... Neck? Then neck <laughs> and shoulders, yeah. If I can eat in a certain way, and I've talked about the, taking it easy with the sugar and the alcohol and the sleep and all that, so I can do things that will make my brain healthy, mm-hmm. then the other stuff's going to be easier right. by definition, right? Mm-hmm. So, now, so I can, what you eat can uh, control cravings or can make cravings really bad. The more sugar and carbs you have, the more sugar you're going to start craving. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's an example of what you eat will make eating better, easier. And so doing things 
from the brain down can really help because those things get easier and easier. So if the fitter your brain can be, the easier it will be to make my brain fitter and the easier it will be to look after my body. So the way I'll think about exercise, for example, and food will be what is best for my brain, for my mitochondria, the energy-producing parts of the cells. Um, so how can I have the most energy in terms of my mind? Uh, and that will then buy me more with the rest of my body, I guess. So that's kind of my general philosophy. I've had that for a while. I don't always follow it, but I try to. So I try and start top down um, rather than, I guess, bottom up. Um, we won't go to your bottom. <laughs> but where, where, how far, do you go down to the toes? I mean, how far do you go down? No, I, I just mean... You start with the top. Yeah, I'll just, start, I'll, I'll just try and do... Rather than thinking what's the best exercise for looking good, I'll start with what's the best exercise for having the best mind, the sharpest mind or something like that. And that will be sort of high-intensity interval training, for example. That's the data that supports that boosts my mitochondrial activity, mm. which gives me the most brain energy, which gives me the most self-control, the most energy throughout the day. I'll make better choices. I'll have more energy for choices, and that will flow on to other things that will help other parts of my well-being. Mm. So I try and do that. Um, and that can extend to you know using your phone to taking in the junk we see on social media to films. Again, I'm not always successful with this, but that's a general philosophy. I try and take that top-down approach, just because if you do that first, the other stuff gets easier. That's really interesting. I, I think that thing you talked about that day was around life goals. Maybe it wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> no, just in terms of life goals, in terms okay. of setting setting goals. I mean, is it important to set goals in life? It, it is. Um, one thing we know is if you do set goals, you don't want to tell everyone about them. So we know... Damn it, that's where I'm going wrong. Yeah, so you keep them kind of private. So what All happens, right. you, you get, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get fit, I'm going to change this, and you start telling everyone. And as you tell them, you're feeling good, you're feeling euphoric, you're getting a dopamine hit, you're getting rewarded, they're going, oh, that's fantastic, great, well done, like, great you're doing that. And you go, ah, yeah. And, and your brain's basically telling you, Oh, you've done it. You've achieved it, yeah. right? And then you don't do anything. And okay, so by doing that, good. you're getting a premature reward and you haven't done anything yet. Yeah. All you've done is telling people you're going to do this thing. And so this is a big deal with New Year's resolutions, right? You, you want to get them and keep them pretty private. And there's good data on this now. The more you tell people about this, the less likely you are to actually mm. achieve these goals. Wow. So keep them private. That's where I'm going wrong. So, the, so in terms of like... Uh, and, the, and those people you tell it to are going to come back to you in a couple of months and say, you're still fat. <laughs> you yeah. still, you haven't done what you said you're going to do. Yeah. You're going to hold your account. And then you really hate them and you don't talk to them ever again. <laughs> there's, a whole, there's a whole world of, of services and products around this now where you can, what do they call it, pledging, right? So you can, you can, you can put this money on the line and give it to a friend or there's services, you can do this. You can say, you know, here's $100 or $1,000 and if I don't achieve this by this date, this automatically goes to my, my worst enemy or the charity that I hate the most, like what, some negative, horrible ah. cause, right, to Trump or to not, neo-Nazi group or whatever, oh, Jesus. whatever it might be. And so you're like, oh, shit, that, that's a real motivator, negative motivation to, to get this thing done or I'm supporting this horrible cause, right? So that's also a thing I hear people about. I've never really, I've dabbled with that kind of motivation. It didn't do much for me. Um, mm. But yeah, I hear, some people, it, it works. Someone said to me once, because I was trying to get fit and, and all that kind of stuff, and she said, look, let's take a picture of you now naked. 
<laughs> and the deal is, if you don't lose 50 kilos, if you don't lose 10 yeah. kilos in um, six months, we're going to post that on Instagram. And what happened? I just never went back. I mean, I was like, <laughs> I was like, Jesus. That would, that would be my worst case. Wait, they uh, had the photo though, right? Yeah, I don't oh. know. She could still do it. Okay. Which would be worrying, but <laughs> some people wouldn't care less about that. Yeah. Some other people are more, more self-conscious than others. I guess the key, the key thing with designing your life is actually working out what kind of life you want for you. Mm. And there are so many examples of other people, various people's kind of... People look to other people for kind of example or success, etc. And what we touched on earlier was around success isn't necessarily just financial, of course, and it's in a, in a, yeah. around your, your general... What is, what is right for you? Finding, testing some small kind of incremental changes in your life can actually make a world of difference to you having a better life, longer life, more fulfilling life, um, helping kind of you find what is right for you is kind of the key objective of all this. Yeah, I think, we, yeah, we kind of glossed over that a bit at the beginning, right? It's not everyone circles in on, you know, money and fame and success. Like yeah. It's this kind of thing. You've got to be well-known and have a lot of money. But for a lot of people, those things don't even come up. Mm. I think they do come up a lot, though. But yeah, so I think that first important step is, is to figure out what you want and what does it for you. Is it that those quiet moments sitting by a lake? Is it being world famous? Is it being a billionaire? Is it being a, having time to sit in your workshop carving out you know, that piece of wood and making the bit of furniture mm. you want to make very slowly, deliberately, very carefully? Is it that? And it might just because you hear all this noise around you and bling and the success stories of startups and, you know, doesn't mean it might be right for you. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I guess that falls back into what I was saying before around this sort of micro-experimentations, doing safe experiments and trying to tr- dip your toe in the water and figure out what would work for you. Because mm. um, I've sort of tried different things and, and, and I was surprised. Some things I thought you know, the fast-paced business world would be a lot more fun than it was. And it's not something that, you know, that I got as excited about as I thought I would. And so mm. I, sometimes we can be surprised um, by what we really like and what we dislike. And we don't know that, like I said, we fail to predict what does it for us. We're really famously bad at predicting what makes us happy. Mm. Um, and so we have to try things quite often. Um, so that's why I'm a big fan of, yeah. Safe yeah. experimentation, safely trying things and testing the water. And you're, you're a great example of that, of, of trying a whole bunch of different kind of uh, courses and qualifications mm. and stuff throughout your life to finally get to the point, unless you're changing again now, but to finally <laughs> get to where you are um, today. And, and life is a journey, right? And yeah. life's about learning and trying different things. I guess the, the thing that frustrates me is when people who have got stuck in their life from very early on in their life, they kind of decide to do a career or someone's told them it'd be good for them to do something specifically only to be told like you know they share with you when they're 80 or on their deathbed that they wish they had never have done that or done something else so that's a that's a great yeah that's a great point we need to talk about that so yeah i mean being in science and working at university critical thinking it's one of these so-called soft skills that should be the hard skills around creativity Mm -hmm. critical thinking that we need to practice more and we need to question things we need to question why we're doing what we're doing why we believe what we believe, why we vote for a certain party, why we might be religious or not. or We need to question these things and not in an aggressive or dangerous way. I mean, just question them because they may be limiting us, they may be holding us back from a life that we can never imagine. So that kind of critical thinking applied to ourselves, you know, should, 
we can we can question all these things. And when we're young, we absorb so much. We've you know one of the themes for our chats is is what children are like and how they they're so curious and they come up with so many different things that they're also so you know little sponges, and they all take on whatever's around them and they won't question it. So people mm-hmm. will end up just believing things because they've grown up in that environment. And so mm-hmm. it's healthy to question those things. The foods you eat, the, the schedules, where you live, what you do, what you believe, all these things, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and just try out something different to see how it resonates with you. So yeah, applying critical thinking skills to yourself around that life design, I think is mm-hmm. really important. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I think that it's interesting what you're talking before about you know kids. It's like they get to a point where uh, they're questioning everything. And you get to a point where they start to understand everything and then they kind of naturally fall into what works for them or perhaps you call it their comfort zone. Yeah. And that comfort zone is where a lot of us end up getting either stuck. If we see it as a negative thing, some people think a comfort zone is a comfortable place to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, hence the name. But I think that in terms of, um, you know, when we listen to a lot of podcasts and talks and stuff, people are talking about the comfort zones, about pushing ourselves outside of that to progress ourselves in, yeah. in the world, in our life, in our careers, et cetera. Um, what is it that's stopping us? Is, is it self-protection? Mm, that's a great question, yeah. What keeps us in that comfort zone and stops us from doing... And why do we see it as negative? Because it seems to me like it's... As human beings, we don't seem to be... We seem to be designed to, to be in those comfort zones. Yeah, so there's certain evolutionary things that would drive us to, right, to be... You know, we don't need to expel calories if we don't have to, right? There's all these survival things. That's what I always say. (laughs) (laughs) If you can press a button on your smartphone and the food appears. Yeah. Yeah. But now, you know, in in the world we live in, those really early sort of evolutionary rules don't really work anymore, right? You've just become unhealthy in all kinds of different ways. Um, Yeah, that, that how to teach yourself that you have more grit than you think, that you have more capacity than you think, that you can live in a, in a sort of semi-comfort zone and move out of that comfort zone and challenge yourself because um, we very easily forget that, um, mm. particularly in the year that we've had, right, that, that we, we sort of crave these comfort soft edges and very cosy things. Mm. And I hear people yeah. talking about using, this is an interesting way, of, of using a physical workout for a mental thing, right? So I talk about top-down, brain-down. But doing a tough, uh, I've been trying to do this lately, doing a workout or a run, um, and falling over and hurting myself, scratching my leg or my arm, right? But that is part of being tough and being showing my, reminding myself that I can do tough things and have grit and can run through the bush or whatever, and then applying that to other things in my life because it's a reminder. It's a very easy reminder when you do these physical things. You mm-hmm. lift a weight, right? Yeah. And it reminds you that, yeah, it was tough and I did it and it's done, easy. But I can apply that to the non-physical things and choices in my life and risks that I might want to take. Mm. So that's an interesting way to play around with physical exercise in a way that people may not think about physical exercise. Is that like a self, a form of kind of self disruption? Like mm. I, I went, I went sailing. I was, I've been putting it off for ages because I, I live near a sailing club, and these these guys keep asking me out to go sailing and like racing, and I haven't had a huge oh, amount of experience. Yeah. And I finally said yes on Sunday. I tried everything possible to get out of it, but the guy <laughs> said it's on. It was like pissing down. It was freezing. And we went out for like five hours, and I was literally drenched to the bone. My hands were shriveled up. Hmm. Uh, and I felt, I thought, wow. I was like, look at my hands going, I haven't seen them like that since I was a kid. <laughs> you know, I was playing in the yeah, yeah. ocean or a lake or something. 
And I hadn't felt my body like that for a very, very long time. I never felt cold. I never felt drenched. I never felt like, fuck, I'll go home. I can't stand this. I need a bath or something. Yeah. That feeling is actually, that was really wonderful for me. Mm. I mean, that, that, that not good feeling made me feel alive. And, yeah. it's, and it's so seldom that I feel alive, you know. And I, I reckon a lot of people feel the same way. And mm. I can see the interest, and in, you talked about before about camping and that, the night out in the tent and all that kind of stuff. The, the fresh air, the feeling, it, it, that, it's liberating, right? It, you feel yeah. like a, an animal, you feel alive, and, you're, and you're, that's just kind of part of being who we are. I, I, I feel like it's missing in our lives. I guess, I guess there's a lot of kind of um, adventure junkies out there that are they're constantly it. craving that. But, but there, yeah, there is this thing of keep, keeping us in the safe zone temperature-wise, and that's, mm. that's a big one that... Because I find, yeah, if I, if I go to the sauna and you know, crank up the temperature, right, it's, it's really uncomfortable. But afterwards, you just feel fantastic. It's mm. the same kind of thing, or an ice bath or a cryotherapy chamber thing. Okay, you're doing um, a lot of this stuff. Uh, yeah, I, not, yeah, I have done in the past. I've sort of tested, played around with all of them. And it's the same kind of thing. You go to this, this extreme, this a little bit of this thing that would kill me if I had a lot of it, if I lived in that sauna, I would die. Yeah, yeah. But a little bit of just enough that does all these fantastic things for my body, releases all these hormones and, and uh, heat shock proteins, and, and, and I, it's good for me, but I also feel fantastic afterwards. Um, I think that that analogy, taking it back then to pushing ourselves outside our comfort zone, not yeah. the point of breaking, but the point of experiencing something new that might be really cool, that might yeah. be a game changer in, in our lives and, and how we feel. Yeah. Um, so yeah I, I think what, what can we do as human beings to kind of like feel comfort in or, or more comfortable in the idea of moving forward? Or I guess sideways, even like no matter what. I think it's. I mean, the fact that we we're really all the psychology around happiness and what makes us happy, we just we just fail at that. We're, we we think this we're going to want to have this thing in ten years. When we get there, we're like, this is I don't want this thing. I want something else. We're, yeah. we're just not good at predicting that. And so if you keep that in mind, thinking about going sailing, going to the gym, going to the sauna, doing the hard thing, putting yourself through something quite difficult or risky. Even though it feels like, oh, I don't want to do that. You have to remind yourself you're not very good at making those predictions. And it may well be that, that thing can change your life in fundamental long-term ways yeah. for the better. What if it could? And it could, and you, but you don't know. And so we trick ourselves to think, oh, I know myself. Oh, it's not going to change. I'm going to feel the same afterwards, right? And so try and remember we're not good at making those predictions and that we don't know how it's going to affect us. And it most probably will surprise us. Just it's like opening a you know, Christmas present. There's something exciting yeah, yeah. hidden in that, and so we should go towards that. But I guess the question then is, is, have you failed if you haven't? Have you failed if you haven't pushed yourself outside your comfort zone? Like, again, it's interesting how we're putting this pressure on ourselves to go beyond what we feel we're again, okay with. It, I don't want to... I don't want no, to say that, because I don't think anyone... It depends on how you define... Uh, the life you want to live. You know, what a rich, fulfilling life is for you is going to be different to me, it's going to be different to someone else. Hmm. And so who am I to judge what someone else wants to do if they want to you know, watch Netflix all day and eat the thing, and that's, that, that's fine. It may be... Eat the thing. Eat the thing, I don't know. Tim Tams, <laughs> chocolate, ice cream, whatever. Yeah. Live that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, that, that's, sounds attractive, that's, actually. That's fine. <laughs> it kind of does. That, um, that's fine by them. It, it may well be that pushing themselves into some other uncomfortable zone, it's different, may be richer and more fulfilling, but maybe it's not. 
Who am I to might, say? I, I can't judge them and I don't want to. Yeah. yeah, and it might not be as uncomfortable as you think it might be as well. Yeah. Like me in my worst case scenarios, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. The kind of the small, safe experiments, you know, incremental change, do things, try it, see if it works. I think that's kind of a, a really important um, factor in evolving to the, you know, the, the best life you can have. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and everybody listening in deserves that. Everyone is capable of doing that. And the ones that are listening in who've, who've achieved that, well done, because, and maintain that. Um, because, um, you know, life is short, um, yeah. and you might as well make it the best you can, I think. Yeah. But, Joel, it's Good. really been cool catching up with you again today, and that's the end of our series uh, with you, our five-part series. I really, really enjoyed our conversations. Yeah, it's been good um, fun. It's been really cool. You've come in today with a big plaster on your wrist, so you've actually been pushing yourself beyond <laughs> your comfort zone. We've got dogs walking in and out, snorting and sleeping as well, so apologize for that noise. Um, but we look forward to catching him again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for listening in to today's episode. We hope that this series with Professor Joel Pearson on the brain has inspired you to take a positive change in your life. It's been a tough year for people. However, with positivity and perseverance, we will overcome the challenges that 2020 has thrown our way. Keep an eye out for our next mini-series coming out in the coming weeks on architecture, featuring some of Australia and the world's leading architects. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about Designing Your Life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe.